This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 204. Uh, we are talking about how fiction can help us heal the planet. And I have the wonderful author Charlotte McConaughey with me today, and she has written a book called The Last Migration. So we're continuing on our author series uh, this month, our last week we had the wonderful colour psychologist Karen Huller. If you haven't heard that one, please head back. And I have a couple of fantastic authors coming in the next couple of weeks too. So Charlotte uh, has been writing from a very young age. She's a graduate degree in screenwriting and master's in screen arts. Uh, And she's worked in script development for film and television for several years. And she's written a number of speculative fiction books. But The Last Migration is her first literary novel, and boy, is it a cracker. So um, we're going to be talking about the uh, particular bird that is the subject of this last migration and learning about that. But we're also going to then dive into uh, how we feel or she feels fiction was the perfect medium for having a safe discussion around um, extinction. It can sometimes be quite a hostile discussion Uh, People who want to save uh, animals from extinction are often seen as anti-economic progress and that's really unfortunate because I truly believe that if we all put our heads together and fight on the same team for people and planet and economic progress, then we can actually tick all the boxes and there are many smart economists uh, in the past few years that are showing us what's possible. So Uh, I'm fascinated by how this book can be a transformative piece for people uh, in the way that you would fall in love with the characters, you would root for them, you want to, you know, help them uh, while you're reading the book and then that book ends and you're thinking, I don't want to stop helping them just because the book's done. And it was a fascinating chat about how her life has changed on personal level after doing the amount of research she did on bird migration to write this book as well. So I hope you enjoy this week's show. I think it was absolutely fascinating uh, to deep dive into the subject of fiction and uh, and extinction and how um, fiction can be beneficial in the exploration and uh, and the ex- exploration of that, I guess, and also the, the finding of solutions. Uh, we don't have a particular show supporter as such this month, which means I am using it to have free reign to talk about some of my favorite Lotox brands and businesses. And I absolutely love Biome. Now, I don't know if you guys have been Biome shoppers for a while uh, or not, um, but this one's for the Aussies. It's the pioneering Lotox website, if you like. Tracy started this business gosh, probably about 15 years ago, I think. Oh, maybe a little bit more recently. The word 2009 is coming to my head right now, Um, but please don't quote me on that. But suffice it to say it was a while ago. And um, what I love about Biome is uh, Tracy and her team's ethics 
have absolutely no compromise and they are very heavily focused on promoting Australian brands as well uh, for that um, smaller footprint aspect as well as for um, you know, just giving shout outs to small Australian businesses. It's lovely. And something that they've been developing over the last sort of couple of years, I've noticed, which there isn't a, a great amount of um, clarity around how to actually buy textiles that aren't doing bad things to the planet. Um, often a lot of the brands that are doing things in the um, low-tox textile space got certified, etc. they'll often be really expensive and they actually don't need to be. Uh, it doesn't need to be a designer brand. You can st- still find gorgeous classics, comfies and, um, and everyday clothes. And so what I've done is I've created a link in the show notes directly to their fashion showcase. And you have everything from women, kids, baby, shoes, accessories, jewelry, books, um, and then fashion brands. Uh, so that you guys can have a little look around and see, you know, if there's anything you might be needing right now. Um, but they have tons of brands. Uh, Etico, um, what else have they got that I love? Uh, Merry People, Outland Denim, uh, Swedish Stockings, uh, so many great brands. Uh, and so I just think if you've got probably at least 40 and, um, and that way they're all in the one spot and, uh, and that's always really handy too. So you don't have to wonder with each individual website, whether you're doing the right thing or not, you know, that because you're on the buy website, um, you're all good to go. And so I've popped that link in the show notes for you guys to make it really easy to access. So all you need to do is head to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on today's, mm, excuse me, on today's show with Charlotte. So uh, I just wanted to also, of course, welcome all of our Low Tox Club members who have joined over this past week. Lovely to see a few new faces in there. If you have Low Tox goals, you want to bring your Low Tox life to life and have a private, supportive, encouraging and positive community in, well, let's just, I mean, social media has become anything but these days, but our little safe haven is divine. And uh, it's a really beautiful place for you to ask questions about brand work shop stuff, have a look at ingredient labels with each other. Plus you get 50% off our Lotox courses all year round and a membership dash with a exclusive club content every single month. This month being the theme of sleep. Last month was the theme of immunity. Obviously it's unfortunately quite a scary thing as a business to not be able to share uh, liberally on a lot of the research that is coming out that can be extremely supportive of people during this new viruses uh, trip around this earth while we figure out what that's going to look like long term. There's so much we can do. And I don't want my page pulled, to be honest. Uh, I have worked for over a decade now to build the community that we have, and I love this community, so I don't want to see that disappear. Uh, but uh, it, it just means that uh, we produce a lot of that content um, in our membership portal. And we had a fantastic 44-page immune-boosting focus last month for members. So if you join this week, that will be there uh, as last month's um, feature in the membership portal as well as this month's sleep. So if you're interested in joining the Low Tox Club, it's only $49 Australian for the year, which means about 28 to 30 
dollars or euro if you're in Europe or the States. And I would love to see you there. So without another second wasted, uh, I am going to now lead us into this beautiful chat with author Charlotte McConaughey. Enjoy. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me today. I'm really excited about this because it's not often. uh, In fact, I think this could actually be the very first interview out of over 200 shows that I've interviewed a fiction author. But there is rhyme to the reason and, um, and I'm really, really looking forward to diving in. But I first wanted to start by asking you how you came to be a writer. Like that's quite a, a difficult path to choose. It's not one of the easiest things to, to navigate. How did it look for you? Yeah, so I've been writing since I was very young. I actually started my first book when I was 14 um, and, and it just made sense for me there's been really nothing else um that i've wanted to do and so i just kind of forged set off on this kind of very strange path where i didn't do any schoolwork or (laughs) study for any exams i just decided i was going to write instead and then um yeah just kind of kept going after i graduated and um it's kind of been a really fantastic ride to get to this point actually Mm -hmm. and and yeah this book's quite different from my other stuff absolutely so um to that point uh you were talking about how you did a lot of uh teen fiction in the past and and now you've kind of managed to tackle climate change through fiction and i think that's really fascinating and uh as we were talking about before hitting record if you look at some of the most difficult subjects in society, often the arts helps us kind of navigate it from a safe space, looking at it um, more objectively than feeling it viscerally. And all the emotion can sometimes uh, have us thinking really foggy and uh, not always making the best decisions. So I'm very intrigued by uh, how this is going to impact people who maybe have found this a difficult subject to start looking at. Um, can you tell us like a little bit about what it's about so people kind of get a bit of an overview? Yeah, sure. So The Last Migration is a book about um, an ornithologist called Franny and she decides to follow the last flock of Arctic terns on what may be their final migration from the Arctic to the Antarctic. Um, And she does that because um, the book is set just a stone's throw into the future during the peak of the extinction crisis that we're going through. Um, And all the animals kind of are either extinct or headed that way quickly. And that's sort of why this is the last block of the Arctic terns. Um, And it's a story about her life leading up to this kind of big journey. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And um, why the Arctic terns for you? How did you come across them are you personally uh really um vested in extinction is it something you research it's a passion project of sorts or yeah well i mean initially when i started the book i knew that franny would be following the flight of a migratory bird um, because she's such a migratory creature herself But I didn't know which bird it would be. And I spent quite a lot of time researching um, to figure out which would be the right one. Um, And then I came across the Arctic tern and I just fell in love with it. It's the bird that has the longest migration of any animal. 
um, from the Arctic to the Antarctic and back again every single year. And that means that because they live for about 30 years, um, over the course of their lifespan, they fly the equivalent distance of to the moon and back again three times. Yeah, so I knew instantly that this was the bird. Um, this was the I, bird for you. <laughs> yeah, and just the thought of such a tiny creature travelling such an extraordinary distance, it kind of breaks your heart a little bit and it, it became a metaphor for courage for me and for Franny's own journey. She takes such heart from these little birds and they give her so much strength. A bird lives largely by instinct, mm, um, whereas we've outsmarted instinct, which isn't always a very smart thing to do, <laughs> uh, as we've seen. But um, they literally live a life of trust through yeah. instinct. Yeah. And so obviously there are some pretty powerful forces that send them travelling these incredible long distances. Yeah, it is amazing. It just blows they're, your mind. Yeah, they're yeah. incredible creatures. Mm. And, and so um, how did looking at something so real inform your creative process? Was there anything different about writing this novel? Yeah, this has had a huge impact on my work. Um, and as I said, I, I have been writing for a long time, but I did write very different stuff. Um, and because that's, as a kid, that's what I wanted to read. That's what I loved. Um, but I guess as I've grown older, um, my interests have shifted a bit and I've become more engaged with um, well, writing adult fiction, but also, uh, I guess, tapping, tapping into really what, you're, what I'm passionate about. Um, I think it's really important to write what you love um, and what you care about. I mean, for starters, because it's, you know, your interest in this topic has to sustain you for a long time. Um, but more importantly, I think that passion and care will shine through on the page and, and readers can really feel it. It makes a huge difference to the reading experience. Um, so I, I really try to write what I care about. And at the moment, I care about a lot of things. But what I keep coming back to again and again is this fascination with the way we interact with the natural world. Um, and how it sustains and nourishes us emotionally and on the flip side of that how we're destroying it um, So I wanted to engage with my fear around the climate crisis, but I didn't quite know how to do that at first um, It wasn't really until I understood my main character Franny um, Who she was going to be and, and the fact that she was going to be a woman who was intimately connected to the natural world um, you know, it's her family in lieu of a real family. Um, and so her connection to it is so paramount to this book that I started to realise that the best way, I guess, to challenge her was to take that natural world away from her piece by piece and, you know, like it's being taken away from us. Mm, gosh. Um, harrowing. <laughs> it's not light, is it? And it reminds me of a non-fiction book I read a few years ago um, by Elizabeth Powell called Feel Notes from a Catastrophe. And I don't know if you came across it in your research, but it, it, she documents some incredible shifts, extinctions, uh, everything due to our planet warming up and ice sheets melting. And, um, and I think, uh, and puts an incredible spin of hope towards the end of the book. I was just like, oh, thank God for chapter five because I was really, uh, yeah, I wasn't feeling good for a while there. Um, how do you feel that fiction can perhaps kind of help us feel more 
um, feel more into the work we need to do in the real world. Yeah. I, I mean, that, sound, that book sounds amazing. I, I need to check it out. And it, it's interesting that distinction between fiction and nonfiction. Um, I think both have immense power. Uh, nonfiction informs us directly. It's crucial. You, you know, you're getting tapped straight into the truth. And then on the other side, you have fiction. And I, I think its impact over us is maybe less concrete or less obvious um, because it has this subtle way of sinking inside us. Um, if we're talking about science, sometimes it's really alienating for normal people who don't have a background in science. Um, it can be sort of quite difficult to dip into, I think. Um, I think. Maybe we just tend to avoid it because we sort of assume it might be too difficult or too dry. Um, but what the, the power of fiction has to do is to trick us into thinking we're reading just another, you know, made-up personal story and then suddenly you realise that you've actually been opened up to this huge issue that maybe you'd never really engaged with before. Um, its power, I think, is in allowing us a more intimate personal access into the issues. Um, you're sort of learning without realising that you are. You're feeling for a character if it's done well. You're empathising. Um, and I think the key to all of this, to changing things, is, is definitely empathy. Um, and just on a simpler level, I think great fiction has the power to start conversations. It's so important for us all to be talking about things and getting each other's perspectives and opinions and connecting over things, understanding what's happening and what we need to do together to solve the problem. 100%. I was interviewing uh, uh, James from Outland Denim, who is like a really, uh, they're probably one of the most ethical denims, there's a handful of them around the world. And uh, his whole reason for doing the work he now does with that jeans brand is because he saw, uh, so it wasn't even a, a book, but it was a movie with Liam Neeson uh, taken. And so, you know, the child trafficking uh, subject for him really came to life there. He became obsessed by it and obsessed by the injustice and then ended up figuring out a way to move forward with that heartbreaking issue through business. Yeah, so, cool. I mean, that's an exact, that's, there you go, that's evidence that of yeah. the power of fiction. Exactly. And, uh, and I think of, uh, you know, when you read a novel, uh, and this is why it's so sad that we're reading less and less, uh, when you read a novel about children separated from their parents uh, as refugees or on a border, um, you know, you would have a level of compassion because you've gotten to know those characters and you've invested in them. Uh, that would have you think differently when that issue then came across your desk in real life. Uh, because, of course, a lot of fiction is based on things that actually do happen in the world. Um, yeah, wow, huge. Um, and so when it comes to this Arctic turn, how have, in the research that you did, and you would have had to do so much, how have we been basically stuffing it up for them. What, what's going on? Yeah, so we're not, we're not being good to them or any of the birds or any of the animals. Um, we're fishing the oceans to extinction, which means that the terns and all the seabirds have far less food on their journey south. So it makes that journey more and more difficult for them every year. Um, we're also destroying their breeding grounds and their nesting grounds. So they have nowhere to fly to and from. 
Um, I mean, I heard a story not long ago about a flock of seabirds that travelled a very long distance each year to reach a stretch of our coastline in, coastline in New South Wales. And the birds were like clockwork. They would arrive um, every year on the same day and people would be there waiting for them. You know, they'd travel to see them because they're so beautiful. Um, and then one year when everyone was waiting for them there, they just didn't show up. Um, they didn't show up the next day or the next or ever again. Um, and it kind of became clear that they must have perished on their journey because we'd just made it too hard for them. There wasn't enough food along the way and they couldn't make the distance. And, and that's one story of so many like it. At the moment, one in eight bird species is threatened with extinction. 71% of those birds are threatened because of farming. So after the farming industry, you have logging as the second threat. 10 billion trees are being bulldozed each year. Then that's followed by introduction of invasive species, hunting and climate change. So we're in a normal threat to birds the numbers are in catastrophic decline directly because of us and then that's not even kind of getting started on the mammals yeah no absolutely uh and those those statistics are pretty harrowing to unpack as well um you mentioned farming uh do we know what kind of farm is it about the land clearing to make way for monocrop agriculture and and that kind of stuff that's it yeah it's the destruction of their habitat in, mm. in order to um graze cattle it's mostly cattle i think mm. uh, in australia it's mostly cattle yeah um yeah it's just cutting down so many trees mm. so many crazy yeah mm. yeah and there's all sorts of pesticides as well that go into the um go into the air and infect the insects that they eat there's just so many layers of it yeah absolutely you ruin whole ecosystems yeah. and the thing that really um is devastating is that we're not making efficient use of land and we're not, um, you know, if you look at something like cattle, we shouldn't have them sprawled across gazillions of acres. They actually like to live tightly bunched and rotated on um, open, yeah. open plains that naturally exist as open plains. And we have yeah. plenty of space for that to happen and Absolutely. for crops to happen. And we don't need to keep clearing land. It's, no, it's insane. They have more than enough space already. Mm. And Terrific. One thing that's going to save us is probably planting trees, not cutting them down. <laughs> yeah. I know. We're just one big Easter island waiting to happen. <laughs> it's devastating. So yeah. I think as a little moment of hope inside, um, you know, like a little break from the, the <laughs> devastation is... Like just go and buy some seeds today, plant something or um, make, you know, take a cutting and plant a new, um, a new plant and, and let it grow. And I think we forget that we have power always and we really do. And I've interviewed so many people in conservation, everything from conservation to construction, rehabilitation and everywhere in between, farmers, you name it. And everyone is saying just plant more plants. Yeah. Everyone's got to plant more plants <laughs> and, uh, and this is going to be a heck of a lot easier. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's like telling someone who's obese, okay, here are all your medications or maybe you should just start walking five kilometres a day. And I just don't get why humans torture ourselves with complicated solutions uh, in crisis mode when preventative root cause stuff is often just so darn simple. 
Yeah, it's amazing. Maybe it's our fear of actually admitting that there is a problem. I don't mm, know. Maybe. Yeah, we're so driven by how amazing we are as a species and all the progress we make. Yeah, progress. Ugh, that's ugh. such a bad word. <laughs> it's a loaded word now, isn't it? Very loaded. And I appreciate a lot of progress. We're here today because of a lot of that progress. Um, so it's, it's about starting to navigate it more wisely with, a, with an open heart and mind. And as I say to my son, it's okay. You're going to stuff up in life. Own it. Help me figure out how to help you move on from it with solutions. And imagine if we all lived like that. Um, I think it'd be a bit different. So let's push for that, folks, who are listening out there today. We start with us, then we start with our kids and uh, we can change things pretty quickly. Um, so is it spoiling things to ask you whether you chose to go down the tragedy route or the story of hope route. And it's okay if you say, yes, it is spoiling things. I can't tell you. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm pretty open about the fact that this is a story about hope. Um, there is a lot of tragedy in this book um, and it confronts some difficult truths. It paints quite a bleak picture of what's in store for us if we don't change our ways. Um, and, you know, it, as we've just been talking about, it is a really grim time in this world right now. We get saturated with bad news from every angle. It's exhausting. It's, it, it really has the power to make us apathetic um, in the face of all of that and, and hopeless. But this book, more than anything, is about hope. Um, it says to us that hope isn't lost. There's still time to reverse the damage and get us right back on the, on the right track. And it will take big action and hard work, but it's absolutely possible. Um, hope's the most important thing we can have right now. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, it's, it's an interesting time when we try and um, see how we all fit within that story of hope because uh, a lot of people would have us believe this is literally all about changing to wind and sun, the energy and nothing else. Like hardly anything else gets talked about. We're not addressing food waste in any meaningful way. We're not addressing, uh, you know, imagine if our government started subsidising regenerative and permaculture agricultures. There is just so many ways we can be a part of the story of hope. But what I love about all those ways that aren't being talked about, they're the ways that we're all, being, we're all talking about. And, um, and I think when we read a book like yours, you can't come to the end of that and not feel like you want to call yourself to some sort of action and step up. So thank you for writing it. I think it's oh, thank very you. special. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was very important to me um, that this be a battle cry, you know, um, a, and a call to arms. I desperately hope that people feel galvanised when they read it and, and energised to make those small changes in their own lives because they add up to huge change. Um, and I, along with all of that, I hope that they feel really connected to Franny, the main character. I hope they feel connected to the natural world, inspired to take around, take a look around at the nature they can see in their own lives. Um, you know, it's such a joy to do that, to start noticing the little things we often look straight past. I love sitting in my back garden and watching the bees and the butterflies land on my lavender plants uh, or listening to the birds in the trees. And if you don't have a backyard, go for a walk to the park. 
you know, I guarantee you'll come across some beautiful wildlife and it's so enriching. It's like taking a deep breath. It reminds us, I think, that we don't have to be such a destructive species. And that's a huge message in this book. Franny's husband is really pessimistic. He sees the human race as a plague on the earth um, and thinks that we destroy everything we touch. And, yeah, you can look at it that way. But I think it's so much more important to notice all the good that we're capable of and how we have the capacity to be incredibly nurturing. Uh, you see it every day in all the lovely little moments and how generous and caring and kind humans are. That's the real stuff we need to feed. And, yeah, that's, that's definitely what this book is about. There's so much love in the pages. Yeah, beautiful. So good. And can I ask um, uh, if anything changed for you personally as you researched, as you wrote the book, now that you're launching it, how does your life look different in your own day-to-day based on how much this would have pulled you closer to the issues at hand? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I knew things were bad before I started researching and, and, and I actually started writing this maybe five years ago now. So it was a little while ago. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I quite realised how, how bad it was until I started the research and I discovered, you know, one statistic that still haunts me to this day is the fact that in the last 50 years alone, humans have killed off over 60% of all the um, Earth's wild animals. That's just an appalling number um, and it's rising steadily and I knew instantly, you know, where I needed to set this book um, and how to kind of start engaging in my own fear around the, the, the extinction crisis and this kind of terrible, um, all of it. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> For anyone who's just listening, because obviously this is an audio, uh, Charlotte had a massive moment of frustration and put her hands up in the air. So, yeah, <laughs> just bringing that to life yeah. for you. <laughs> all of it. This is so horrible. But, yeah, look, what I'm doing, um, so... I'm trying really hard to to reduce my impact or make my impact a bit more of a positive one. Um, I think it's really important to think about awareness, how we can kind of um, give people information. Um, I don't think people realise the impact of certain things and what they're having on this planet. For example, if they knew the terrible cost of eating meat, I kind of like to think that they would eat less of it. So we need more information, more awareness, really clear instructions about what to do. Um, mm. And a clear distinction between different types of meat based on different types of agriculture. That's just never made. Yeah. I mean, if you were able to tell people, guys, if this is a diet that really suits you, there's no point in shaming groups of people who literally can't survive as vegans without getting really unwell but like eat half the meat and get it from these sorts of farms and you know like why can't we have these open gray area conversations where there's lots of different you know and then same with plants I mean a lot of us would be horrified if we found out how the bulk of our veggies were grown from what forms of agriculture and the amount of wildlife that's mowed down with till heavy agriculture in massive practice like it's and, and it's not to say that as an omnivore I'm not defending uh, a way of eating I never do I think everyone should find a way to um, 
make peace with what makes them thrive and then from there go, how is this farmed? Where does it come from? Am I okay when I learn the answers to all that? Um, so I, I just wanted to add that to what you're saying because I absolutely agree. I think factory farming is devastating and um, not only from an animal cruelty perspective but from the planet destruction. I mean, all the evidence is there crazy yeah it is horrifying i'm a vegetarian and my my dad is a cattle farmer <laughs> ah but he, uh, <laughs> that must make for some interesting uh mealtime conversations yeah yeah look he um but he's he's a goodie he's one of the good ones he has this beautiful little boutique um farm he doesn't kind of he tries to make his impact as um positive as he can on the on the land around him he doesn't do any clearing his animals are treated really well um, it's sustainable farming and that's, the, that's a major difference between um you know how how most of us get our get our meat um, but it, you know it's it's beyond just not eating meat or eating less of it as you said i really try to reduce my household waste so having a compost or a worm farm is massive um, I switched my energy provider to a renewable energy company instead of sticking with, you know, gross energy Australia, whatever it is, <laughs> AGL. Um, make it, making a conscious effort to drive my car less. Um, we don't have car emissions um, limits in Australia, which is just insane. The whole rest of the world has it, but we um, I'm looking into getting a hybrid car. Um, so if you can afford it, that's a really great way to go. Hybrids are electric. Yay. I couldn't do it last year. I was just off it yeah. in the budget yeah. sector, but oh, I got the cool. most fuel economic and it yeah, was great. less than half of what my old car did. I mean, so It is terrible yeah. how pretty prohibitive the costs are and we're mm. really hope that they come down so that it can be more common. Well, again, I mean, imagine if we were incentivised yeah. to make the change. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, recycled products, buy recycled toilet paper. That's a really good one. <laughs> you know, there's just so many simple, small things that we can be doing that will actually kind of bring us into the fight and give us a crucial role to play. What my main kind of thing and what I think is tends to be the most important is understanding that while we're important as individuals, this battle really needs to be led by the people in power. Our politicians are destroying this planet willfully. So we, we have to be contacting them. You uh, kind of let them get away, away with it. We can raise all of those issues that I brought up, you know, raise putting limits on the land clearing for cattle grazing. Um, introduce those standards for our vehicles so that they have limits on their emissions. Um, uh, ban single-use plastics, hold huge corporations accountable for their emissions, um, ban the burning of fossil fuels. Like, it's just insane, all this stuff that we do, which is so unnecessary. Renewables are even more, you know, they're a better in economic choice. Little yeah, they are. Well, they're certainly starting to become. Um, and, yeah, and I love that this has really ignited a fire for you to step up in your own life. You can see it. And, um, and I think uh, when, when we feel like um, there are clearer paths to action, I'm so glad you mentioned writing to and 
conversations with your local members. A lot of people just bitch about prime ministers, like the people right at the top or presidents. Um, and sometimes that's very well warranted. However, um, that will change nothing. You having that fight on Facebook changes zero. Actually starting a conversation with your local council or your local MP, either state or federal, both ideally, becoming that letter writer. You know, they're not telepathic. And if they start to get hassled enough, they'll go, sugar, my vote might be on the line here. Exactly. Yeah, I've got a friend who is a bit of a climate scientist and she um, she ran this seminar. How does one be a bit of a climate oh, scientist? Well, she's a scientist. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say she's specifically a climate scientist, uh-huh. but yep. she does work in it. She understands yeah. the climate science. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And she Which is ran important. a seminar recently and, and she was saying that the biggest thing that came out of it, um, because it was about how we can... Um, make individual choices the biggest thing was this idea about contacting um, government because she made a really simple analogy you can either have fifty thousand people taking their um, soft plastics to be recycled at coles excellent or you can have fifty thousand people going to government and demanding that single-use plastic bags be banned so it's like you either cut the problem you respond to the problem or you cut it off at the source so that's the idea about about going up into the chain of things and really trying to make change there. Hundred percent. My very first real boss that was kind of my first mentor professionally, um, and this was back when I was in the cosmetics industry. I was in my early early twenties, um, and I would sometimes come to her with like little problems or things that were happening. And the very first time I did, she said, "I am one hundred percent okay with you walking into my office." anytime to workshop a problem but you want to whinge with solutions and then we whinge up we don't just bitch about it in the office we find the higher power or the outsourced power that we need to bring in and help us move the conversation forward if there's a big issue in the business and that's exactly how we need to operate with the planet as well Mm. well charlotte i'm very excited about your book can we get it everywhere everywhere and anywhere on booktopia and we're going to pop some links uh for the last migration up on the show notes so that everyone can find it um and uh and i'm just so happy to have met you and be able to bring this story to lotox life listeners because often we deal in fiction in non-fiction uh, as i said this was literally the first fiction-based author interview i've ever done Um, And yet um, you've helped us uncover today how powerful uh, a journey through story can be to then help us deal with what's happening in the outside world. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to chat. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at lowtoxlife, or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and, of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year 
which is about 29.30 US, about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.